Chapter Fifty Three of Ralph the Heir by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The End of Polynefit. Rumors, well supported rumors, as to the kind of life which Mr. Neefit was leading, reached Alexandra Cottage, filling Mrs. Neefit's mind with dismay and making Polly very angry indeed. He came home always somewhat the worse for drink, and would talk of punching the heads both of Mr. Newton and of Mr. Ontario Moggs. Waddle, who was very true to his master's interests, had taken an opportunity of seeing Mrs. Neefit, and of expressing a very distinct idea that the business was going to the mischief. Mrs. Neefit was of opinion that in this emergency the business should be sold, and that they might safely remove themselves to some distant country, to Tunbridge, or perhaps to Ware. Polly, however, would not accede to her mother's views. The evil must, she thought, be cured at once. If father goes on like this, I shall just walk straight out of the house and marry Moggs at once, Polly said. Father makes no account of my name and so I must just look out for my name myself. She had not as yet communicated these intentions to Ontario, but she was quite sure that she would be supported in her views by him whenever she should choose to do so. Once or twice Ontario came down to the cottage, and when he did so Mr. Neefit was always told of the visit. "'I ain't going to keep anything from father, mother,' Polly would say, if he chooses to misbehave, that isn't my fault. I mean to have Mr. Moggs, and it's only natural I should like to see him. Neefit, when informed of these visits, after swearing that Moggs Jr. was a sneaking scoundrel to come to his house in his absence, would call upon Moggs Sr. and swear with many threats that his daughter should have nothing but what she stood up in. Moggs Sr. would stand quite silent, cutting the skin on his hand with his shoemaker's knife, and would simply bid the infuriated breeches-maker good morning when he left the shop. But in truth Mr. Moggs Sr. had begun to doubt. "'I'd leave it a while, Auntie, if I was you,' he said. "'Maybe after all he'll give her nothing. "'I'll take her the first day she'll come to me, money or no money,' said Moggs Jr., Foiled ambition had, in truth, driven the breeches-maker to madness. But there were moments in which he was softened, melancholy, and almost penitent. "'Why didn't you have him when he come down to Margate?' he said, with tears running down his cheek. That very evening, after eating his rump-steak in Mr. Newton's rooms, the soda-water and brandy with a little gin and water after it had reduced him to an almost maudlin condition so that he was unable to support his parental authority. "'Because I didn't choose, father. It wasn't his fault. He spoke fair enough, though I don't suppose he ever wanted it. Why should he?' "'You might have had him then. He'd have never dared to go back. I'd have killed him if he had.' "'What good would it have done, father? He'd never have loved me, and he'd have despised you and mother.' I wouldn't have minded that, said Mr. Neefit, wiping his eyes. But I should have minded. 
what should I have felt with a husband as wouldn't have wanted me ever to have my own father in his house? Would that have made me happy? It'd have made me happy to know as you was there. No, father, there would have been no happiness in it. When I came to see what he was, I knew I should never love him. He was just willing to take me because of his word. And was I going to a man like that? No, father, certainly not. The poor man was at that moment too far gone in his misery to argue the matter further, and he lay on the old sofa very much at Polly's mercy. "'Drop it, father,' she said. "'It wasn't to be, and it couldn't have been. "'You'd better say you'll drop it.' But sick as uncomfortable as he was on that evening, he couldn't be got to say that he would drop it. Nor could he be got to drop it for some ten days after that, but on a certain evening he had come home very uncomfortable from the effects of gin and water, and had been spoken to very sensibly both by his wife and daughter. By seven on the following morning Ontario Moggs was sitting in the front parlor of the house at Hendon, and Polly Neefit was sitting with him. He had never been there at so early an hour before, and it was thought afterwards by both Mr. and Mrs. Neefit that his appearance, so unexpected by them, had not surprised their daughter Polly. Could it have been possible that she had sent a message to him after that little scene with her father? There he was, at any rate, and Polly was up to receive him. Now, Auntie, that'll do. I didn't want to talk nonsense, but just to settle something. But you'll tell a fellow that you're glad to see him. No, I won't. I won't tell a fellow anything he doesn't know already. You and I have got to get married. Of course we have. But we want father's consent. I'm not going to have him made unhappy if I can help it. He's that wretched sometimes at present that my heart is half killed about him. The things he says are monstrous, asserted Moggs, thinking of the protestation lately made by the breeches maker in his own hearing to the effect that Ralph Newton should yet be made to marry his daughter. All the same, I've got to think about him. There's a dozen or so of men as would marry me, Mr. Moggs, but I can never have another father. I'll be the first of the dozen anyway, said the gallant Ontario. That depends. However, mother says so, and if father'll consent, I won't go against it. I'll go to him now before he's up, and I'll tell him you're here. I'll bring him to his senses if I can. I don't know whatever made him think so much about gentlemen. He didn't learn it from you, Polly. Perhaps he did, after all, and if so, that's the more reason why I'd forgive him. So saying, Polly went upstairs upon her mission. On the landing she met her mother, and made known the fact that Ontario was in the parlor. "'Don't you go to him, mother. Not yet,' said Polly, whereby it may be presumed that Mrs. Neefit had been informed of Mr. Moggs' visit before Polly had gone to him. Mr. Neefit was in bed, and his condition apparently was not a happy one. He was lying with his head between his hands, and was groaning, not loudly, but very bitterly. His mode of life for the last month had not been of a kind to make him comfortable, and his conscience, too, was ill at ease. 
He had been a hard-working man, who had loved respectability, and had been careful of his wife and child. He had been proud to think that nobody could say anything against him, and that he had always paid his way. Up to the time of this disastrous fit of ambition on Polly's behalf, he had never made himself ridiculous, and had been a prosperous tradesman, well thought of by his customers. Suddenly he had become mad, but not so mad as to be unconscious of his own madness. The failure of his hopes, joined to the inexpressibly bitter feeling that in their joint transactions young Newton had received all that had been necessary to him, whereas he, Neefit, had got none of that for which he had bargained. These together had so upset him that he had lost his balance, had traveled out of his usual grooves, and had made an ass of himself. He knew he had made an ass of himself, and was hopelessly endeavoring to show himself to be less of an ass than people thought him by some success in his violence. If he could only punish young Newton terribly, people would understand why he had done all this. But drink had been necessary to give him courage for his violence, and now as he lay miserable in bed his courage was very low. "'Father,' said Polly, "'shall I give you a drink?' Neefit muttered something, and took the cold tea that was offered to him. It was cold tea, with just a spoonful of brandy in it, to make it acceptable. "'Father, there ought to be an end of all this, oughtn't there?' "'I don't know about no ends. I'll be down on him yet.' "'No, you won't, father. And why should you? He has done nothing wrong to you or me. I wouldn't have him if it was ever so.' It's all been your fault, Polly. Yes, my fault, that I wouldn't be made what you call a lady, to be taken away so that I'd never see any more of you and mother. Then she put her hand gently on his shoulder. I couldn't stand that, father. I'd make him let you come to us. A wife must obey her husband, father. Mother always obeyed you. No, she didn't. She's again me now. Besides, I don't want to be a lady, said Polly, seeing that she had better leave that question of marital obedience. And I won't be a lady. I won't be better than you and mother. You've been brought up better. I'll show my breeding, then, by being true to you and true to the man I love. What would you think of your girl if she was to give her hand to a gentleman when she'd given her heart to a shoemaker. Oh, damn the shoemaker. No, father, I won't have it. What is there against Ontario? He's a fine-hearted fellow, as isn't greedy after money. As it kiffs the very ground I stand on, he's that true to me. And is a tradesman, as yourself. If we had a little place of our own, wouldn't Ontario be proud to have you there, and give you the best of everything? And wouldn't I wait upon you, just only trying to know beforehand every little as you'd like to have? And if there was to be babies, wouldn't they be brought up to love you? If I'd gone with that young man down to his fine place, do you think it would have been like that? How'd I have felt when he was too proud to let his boy know as you was my father? Neefit turned on his bed and groaned. 
he was too ill at ease as to his inner man to argue the subject from a high point of view or to assert that he was content to be abased himself in order that his child and grandchildren might be raised in the world father said polly you have always been kind to me be kind to me now the young uns is always to have their own way said neefit hasn't my way been your way father not when you wouldn't take the captain when he come to margate i didn't love him father dear father say the word we haven't been happy lately have we father i ain't been very happy said neefit bursting out into little sobs she put her face upon his brow and kissed it father let us be happy again ontario is downstairs in the parlor now ontario moggs in my parlor said neefit jumping up in bed yes father ontario moggs my husband as will be the man i honor and love the man that will honor and love you as true a fellow as ever made a young woman happy by taking her let me tell him that you will have him for a son in truth neefit did not speak the word but when polly left the room which she presently did after a long embrace mr neefit was aware that his consent to the union would be conveyed to ontario moggs in less than five minutes and now you can name the day said ontario i cannot do any such thing replied polly and i think that quite enough has been settled for one morning it's given inch and taken l with some folks ontario waited for breakfast and had an interview with his future father-in-law it was an hour after the scene upstairs before mr neefit could descend and when he did come down he was not very jovial at the breakfast-table it isn't what i like moggs was the first word that he spoke when the young politician rose to grasp the hand of his future father-in-law i hope you'll live to like it mr neefit said ontario who now that he was to have his way in regard to polly was prepared to disregard entirely any minor annoyances i don't know how that may be i think my girl might have done better i told her so and i just tell you the same she might have done a deal better but women is always restive we like to have our own way about our young men father said polly who was standing behind her father's chair bother young men said the breeches maker after that the interview passed off if not very pleasantly at least smoothly and it was understood that mr neefit was to abandon that system of persecution against ralph newton to which his life had been devoted for the last few weeks after that there was a pretty little correspondence between polly and ralph with which the story of polly's maiden life may be presumed to be ended and which shall be given to the reader although by doing so the facts of our tale will be somewhat anticipated polly with her father's permission communicated the fact of her engagement to her former lover hendon saturday dear sir father thinks it best that i should tell you that i am engaged to marry mr ontario moggs whom you will remember he is a most respectable tradesman and stood once for a member of parliament 
and I think he will make me quite happy, and I'm quite sure that's what I'm fitted for. Whether Polly meant that she was fitted to be made happy, or fitted to be the wife of a tradesman who stood for Parliament, did not appear quite clearly. There have been things which we are very sorry for, and hope you'll forgive and forget. Father bids me say how sorry he is he broke a figure of a pretty little man in your room. He would get another, only he would not know where to go for it. Wishing you always may be happy. Believe me to remain, yours most respectfully, Marianne Neefit. Ralph's answer was dated about a fortnight afterwards. Cavendish Square, 1 June, 1860 blank. My dear Polly, I hope you will allow me to call you so now for the last time. I am indeed happy that you are going to be married. I believe Mr. Moggs to be a most excellent fellow. I hope I may often see him, and sometimes you. He must allow you to accept a little present which I send you, and never be jealous if you wear it at your waist. The pretty little man that your father broke by accident in my rooms did not signify at all. Pray tell him so from me. Believe me to be your very sincere friend, Ralph Newton. I may as well tell you my own secret. I am going to be married, too. The young lady lives in this house, and her name is Augusta Erdem. This letter was sent by messenger from Cavendish Square with a very handsome watch and chain. A month afterwards, when he was preparing to leave London for Brayborough Park, he received a little packet with a note as follows. Linton, Devonshire, Wednesday. Dear Mr. Newton, I am so much obliged for the watch, and so is Ontario, who will never be jealous, I am sure. It is a most beautiful thing, and I shall value it, oh, so much. I am very glad you are going to be married, and should have answered before, only I wanted to finish making, with my own hand, a little chain which I send you, and I hope your sweetheart won't be jealous either. We looked her out in a book, and found she is the daughter of a great gentleman with a title. That is all just as it should be. Ontario sends his respects. We have come down here for the honeymoon. I remain yours very sincerely, Marianne Moggs. End of chapter 53 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina